Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy, a podcast that looks at the inspiration, intention, and actionable steps to help you jumpstart joy in the world, in your life, and in other people's lives. This is your host, Paula Jenkins. Welcome to episode 195. On this week's show, I'm really excited to have a brand new interview with guest E.B. Sanders. E.B. is a career coach who works with creative people, and we have a great conversation that covers so many different topics from how having a nine-to-five job might be a great fit for many people, how to change the nature of a toxic work relationship, and yes, it's possible, and how to really hone in on your values as a way to define and and design a career that's a really great fit for you. I just love this conversation, and I think you're going to love what EB has to say and share with all of us. Before we get to the show, I want to give you all a very warm welcome and say thank you so much for tuning in this week. Jumpstart Your Joy, of course, is a podcast that's been around for over five years. <laughs> I recorded my very first episodes in early July of 2015, so we're into the fifth year now. It's our fourth season, and it's just great to be able to record these episodes for you guys every week and talk about the inspiration, intention, and action that help bring joy into our everyday life. It's a lot of fun to get to interact with all of you. Um, If you want to find out more about the show and hear all 194 past episodes, you can find the website at jumpstartyourjoy.com. And I always do show notes, of course, with a little bit more information and links to the guest website and whatnot. And for this one, it's at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash E.B. Sanders. And while you're there, be sure and sign up for the very fun Joy Plus You Unleashed course, where I walk through some of the interesting steps of how you can bring more joy into your life. It's a mini course, and then you'll also be signed up to receive my Three Things Thursday, which goes out, well, every Thursday. And I talk more about the inspiration, intention, and action as it relates to each week's episode. And that is just found in that newsletter. So you're going to want to sign up. So what I'm really excited about with this interview is that EB and I talk a lot about how it can look to craft a job that's within the nine to five kind of category, but how you can design a job that is a great fit for you. You can find a path that fits and then it doesn't have to be in the entrepreneurial space. I will fully admit (laughs) that a lot of what I've talked about on this show does focus about an entrepreneurial path because that's been the one that I have chosen and that you know a lot of coaches and a lot of other people follow just because that's the nature of the work. I love, though, that we dive in in this interview and talk more about how your career could be a nine-to-five career, and it could be something that you are very intentionally and mindfully creating for yourself and taking the action to bring more joy into your life, especially if the structure and some of the benefits and the office life that happens in a more corporate setting is a fit for you. Because I know there's pieces of that that I have loved so much, and of course, there's the downside sometimes of being an entrepreneur that a lot of that could be kind of work you're doing on your own and then 
all of the responsibility also sits with you to bring in the money. So I think this is a really great balance and I'm super excited to have EB on to talk more about this other side of what work can look like and how you can define and design a job and a career path that fits you really well. So let's just jump on into the show. Here we go. Welcome to the show. This week, we have E.B. Sanders on, and I am so excited that you are here. Welcome to Jumpstart Your Joy. Well, thank you so much for having me. I am genuinely, genuinely excited. We were able to connect and make this happen. Would you like to tell us about what you loved most as a child or in school? What were your earliest sparks of joy? Oh, this is so funny. I was having a conversation with a friend um, just the other day about kind of the things you remember from elementary school. And I remember an assignment, my favorite, this is how nerdy I am, my favorite assignment for my first grade teacher is she had us write and illustrate our own books. And then she brought in fabric from home and we actually got to do like little book binding. Oh, fun. Yeah. And I even remember mine was like this pink with fuzzy little velvet pink polka dots on it. And it was a whole story about how like you should like yourself and you should be as strong as you want to be, even if you're a girl. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I just, I even remember exactly what it looks like. It was like this perfect circle and my little circle girl with stick legs had like giant beefy tricep arms and lifting weights. So cute. And so like, oh, <laughs> I had a very feminist mother, which I'm assuming influenced that, but I loved that assignment. And I remember it making me so happy and just, I, I mean, I kept that thing forever because yeah, it just it made me so freaking happy to do that assignment. I still remember it to this day. That is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just the power of knowing that you can do anything and like being able to put that into writing early on, like that seems awesome. I had really supportive parents and really great, like I went to California public school. We're not known for having the best, <laughs> but, <laughs> I, good, but yeah. You know, yeah, I had really great teachers, really great supportive teachers and really great supportive parents. So pretty early on, I was just like, yeah, I'm awesome. I do what I want. (laughs) So cool. Yeah. (laughs) I think I had a very similar, I was in grade school in Minnesota, but there was some of that similarity and free to be you and me, that album played like nonstop in our house. So I was all about it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do now and who you work with? Yeah, for sure. So now what I do is very specifically career coaching for what I call creative types. Um, And this isn't necessarily people who do a creative action as their job, although that's some of my clients, but a lot of them are people who think creatively. Um, So you can be an engineer, but still have a creative way of thinking. It's basically people who think more circularly, who think really kind of in odd different ways who are really creative problem solvers. Um, so not so much CPAs, but you know, I do have some engineers. I, I have people who are in all sorts of fields like pharmaceuticals and science. I have quite a few scientists, which I find really interesting. That's cool. Yeah. It is really cool. So yeah, so I coach um, people through either career changes or through um, kind of getting to that next level that they're really striving for, whatever that is for them. Um, or I really help people figure out what it is they even want to do. So a lot of people get to a certain point in life and realize they've worked really hard towards something that they might not even like. So mm-hmm. I help them figure out what they might enjoy doing. That's really cool. And I imagine that you also have a trajectory that kind of, I'm guessing, aligns in some way yeah. to maybe hitting that point where you're like, 
oh, here I am. And now what's next? I mean, I've been there. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got there from kind of a personal perspective? Yeah, sure. So I, I think like a lot of people, I had this idea of what it was I wanted to do. Um, I wanted to be a teacher and I knew I wanted to be a teacher and I went to school and sort of never left. And I was teaching um, at the college level and it was my dream job. It was everything I ever wanted, uh, except I couldn't pay the landlady, which was kind of awful. Um, and then my school, like many, many schools across the country, just our funding dwindled and dwindled. So my class load dwindled and dwindled. And I had to make that choice of what do I do next and how do I just survive? And I also happen to live in, I think at this point, the most expensive city in the entire nation. Um, so I didn't have a ton of options. It was either move across the country and leave all of my family because my entire family's here as well, um, or find uh, the next new thing. And for me being closer to my family was more important than my career. So I, had, I went back into something that I had been doing through grad school, which was staffing and recruiting, um, and very specifically within ad agencies. Yeah. And uh, it was great, and I loved it. Um, not in the same way that my big Hearts and Flowers dream job, but I loved it in a very different way, and I was at a different age in my life. Um, and I did that for several years, and then I realized that what I loved most was working directly with my team members and really helping them foster their careers. But when you work within a corporate setting, your end goal always has to be to toe the company line, always has to be what's in the company's best interests. And there was a certain point where I wanted to help these people further their careers, whether or not they stayed with my particular agency or not. Um, And so that's when I decided to kind of, you know, hang up my own shingle and really work with people one-on-one without the constraints of a corporate setting. Um, and for a long time, it didn't make sense to me how all of these things were connected. And it's now that I look at it, it's such a simple like face palm, like red line through all of them. And yeah. I was teaching students who were trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their lives. I was helping creatives find in their jobs that they were trying to figure out what they want to do and how to make that work. And with my coaching, I'm doing the exact same thing. So now that I have perspective on it, it, of course it makes sense. But at the time I really felt you know, as I was doing these two major career shifts that I was floundering, that I didn't know what was going on, that I had a ton of work to do, that I was, you know, overwhelmed and stuck and all, all the things that everyone goes through when they're yeah. going through career changes. I absolutely love my work now because it also means I get to continually work on me and my stuff while I help other people work on their careers, which is amazing. I love it. A lot of people like get involved in a career and they think it is either the only thing or they're not really sure why a certain side interest maybe popping up for them and Mm -hmm. then they get confused and it all feels like too much. I uh, was also definitely there being a project manager. We, we both for the audience Mm -hmm. have an ad agency background, which is kind of interesting. And that's a whole nuance (laughs) (laughs) like as it's uh, ups and downs. And um, I, on the side was leading retreats And that's where kind of, I realized, Hey, I want more of what this is, but, but I can see that they're both very similar. Like you said that I love working with the people and I love encouraging people and I love seeing them bring out the best work that they can do. And, um, and that's, I think the through line for me, um, when you work with people, I think it's hard sometimes to see that there is a through line Mm -hmm. and that you're following something that is true to your heart. I don't know. How do you see that shift coming up for people as they start to work with you that they kind of come into this idea that, oh, there might be other things around this that are also really exciting to me? Yeah, it's really interesting because I have kind of this, a wide range of people. I have some people who come to me and they're saying, I don't know what else it is, but I know I don't want what I'm doing. 
Mm-hmm. And there's some people who have this sense that just something is off and they're not sure. And nine times out of 10, they've kind of been pigeonholed into doing much more managerial administrative work and all the, all the things that brought them joy or interest level and they tend to be creative kind of things. Those have fallen by the wayside as, as they've made their way up the ladder. And a lot of people don't realize that, especially in creative type fields, the farther up the ladder you go, the less you get to actually make things. <laughs> yes. And it's funny to hear them say that they they don't know why they're so fixated on these creative things. But it's it takes someone outside. Everyone's going to be like, yeah, it's because you don't get to make anything. And so a lot of times they feel like they need to go leave and do something 1,000% different mm-hmm. when really what they just need to do is reincorporate creativity into their life. Um, and that tends to be a really big fix. And then there's a lot of people who come in and say, you know, they're, they know that they there's something else they want to do and they're, it's really capturing their interest and it's really kind of preoccupying them, but they've worked so hard to get where they are that they don't want to jeopardize all of that work. And they do, people really get stuck in this either or situation. Yep. It's, I mean, it's a belief system that is 100% totally constructed. That isn't a real thing that I, I harp on this so often with all my clients that it doesn't have to be an either or there definitely can be an. And what that and balance is different for everybody. For some people, it might mean you do a side job where you're doing something really creative and you're selling little pieces at a farmer's market or something. Maybe it does mean you really do start a little side business of your own. Maybe it does mean you just volunteer at a creative type of organization and get your, you know, your kind of your creative yayas out while helping other people. Um, there's just so many different avenues for that. But it's it's interesting to see how people get scared by the idea that there is something else that they're interested in and they're afraid, really, it's just about being afraid of giving it time and attention. Yes. I'm also having this huge aha moment. One of the things I noticed about ad agencies is so many people um, have a side interest and it confused me at first. Like, how are these people working so hard on the one side at the agency? I mean, because that job, if people are not familiar I mean, it's sometimes nine to five, but it's often 10 to 12 hours in a day because you're working so hard against a deadline and you're the one that's going to make it happen. I mean, there's no wiggle room in these deadlines because a product's going live, a movie's launching, maybe a video game's about to go, and you don't really have an option. You're backing into a schedule. And so I was always amazed that these folks could find the time to, like one guy had a record label, like another one was knitting and selling things. (laughs) constantly at a farmer's market, but I, you just put something into place for me. I'm sure it was because they had reached the level in their career at the agency where they weren't necessarily creating. They were at the strategy management admin level now because that's the career path. And so what they were doing was they're creative people by nature. And so this was the thing that was keeping it afloat for them in many ways. That was the lifeline out. Yeah. And I always use this term, you know, to get your creative yayas out. And yeah, there's, you know, advertising, especially I think as people get into it because they're creative people, they, yeah, they've got bands, they're doing art shows, they're doing photography exhibits, but it's not relegated just to that world. Like I work with a lot of women who went into marketing and communications because they were creative. They were very verbal. They were great with words. And this happens to a lot of women in college were then told your corporate options are sort of limited Mm -hmm. in that you get stuck in this marketing kind of world. Um, And you're told that it's a really creative career. And very quickly as they've risen 
up above, they realize they're not even writing anything anymore. They are simply looking at spreadsheets about what the words need to go out when. Mm-hmm. And they found themselves in, you know, being paid very well at very prestigious titles, but they're not in any way doing anything creative anymore. And they feel guilty about the want to do it. Sure. And it's really interesting. And it's, they feel like they need someone to give them permission to be like, no, you can take a day off and just go take photos in the forest. If that's, they say (laughs) that's the thing. Yeah. That's your thing. People have this idea that it is being lazy um, and not being productive. That you're, if you're doing something like that, like you're taking time for your creative endeavors, that you're not being productive at your current job, whatever it is. If it is your nine to five or you're in advertising, you're seven to midnight. It's, <laughs> they, they think it's not being productive. Whereas I'm convinced that those things, it's like taking a nap. I don't find napping to be unproductive. I think it's one of the most productive things you can do. Taking yes. that time out to have a mental break or creativity break, I think is just, it is integral to your productivity. It allows your brain to reset. It allows your brain to think of things in new ways. It allows it to be more efficient. It's just, there's so much science behind it, but culturally we've decided if you do that, that it's a negative thing and that it is anti-productive and gosh forbid that you're anti-productive. Right. (laughs) Well, that's probably the other story that comes up, kind of the capital S story around why we can't just do things play for the sake of play. Mm -hmm. I feel like, uh, I mean, some of my coaching work is with people who are in agencies. And I think I mentioned, I don't talk about it a ton here, but like, I find that folks get really stuck in that place of, well, if it's not productive, if it's not working towards a paid end goal, then why would I take a minute to even explore Uh something new? And that whole idea of, is it Julia Cameron and the artist date of like, setting aside time for yourself to go do something new and explore and like, I don't know if that's even a word, but just be out there and kind of experience something new often is like the nap. It's just a reset of connection and joy for joy's sake and playing just to reconnect. Yeah. Like I have a friend, he's an executive chef in San Francisco. It's, that's a thing, right? It is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a thing. It's a thing. And he travels. He doesn't make a ton of money because chefs don't, but he makes sure to travel fairly regularly. And people are always just like, dude, do you ever work? And in his mind, that is work going and traveling and experiencing other foods and how other people are doing things and how that's involved in their daily lives. Like that just informs everything he creates and it informs everything he puts on a menu. And for him, he's got it figured out. Like he gets that that is not anti-productive, that that is the height of him being productive. If he was to just like try and stand in his kitchen and crank out new inspirational things all day, every day, they'd all start tasting pretty gray real quick. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. It's, it's rare to find someone who's got it figured out like that, but when they do, I think you got to you know kind of see, watch what they're doing and why they're doing it. Yes, totally agree. Well, and I think that's interesting too, because when you can sink into a moment, either as a chef, I mean, we just got back from vacation. So like Pike Place Market in Seattle, Mm -hmm. my husband could not get enough. He's walking (laughs) around, checking out everything, watching what they're making. And for him, it's like this, you can see he goes into the zone of just taking in absolutely every second. And now that you've said that too, if there's not food involved, he's like kind of, you know, (laughs) like if he can't bring it back to that thing that he loves so much and it's not necessarily the eating, it's the the crafting of. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Thank you for putting that out there. Pardon me. Um, I think one of the other really interesting things is, so some people, 
you know, kind of find their way um, when they get to that point where they're like, I think I can do an and or um, something in my life that encompasses all that stuff. Sometimes that looks like an entrepreneurial mm-hmm. um, execution, sure. ad lingo, <laughs> or sometimes it looks more like you find your way in a nine to five. And um, I think I don't talk about it, as I said, like enough in this show that there there is a lot of ways that somebody can find joy and fulfillment and contentment in the thing that, that you help people do, which is like, how do you design and craft a career that maybe stays within the nine to five construct? Because there's a lot of safety and excitement there as mm-hmm. well. I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how yeah. you see people finding their way through that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is this idea that you have to have your 100% dream job. And then if you're not living your passion, you're doing it wrong. And I mean, even for entrepreneurs, I mean, that's kind of a dangerous concept. And I don't think it's, it's necessary. I think finding something that's meaningful and fulfilling to you, that's, that's what you need. That's the true like life juice. And if you find that in a nine to five, more power to you. Entrepreneurship is not for everybody. It absolutely isn't because it's agreeing to take on like five jobs at one time. Yes. It is not just doing the thing that you're doing. It is the, the thing you do. Like I weirdly, I spend a good chunk of my day coaching clients on the phone clients. That is weirdly the least amount of thing that I do. Like I spend most of my time doing other things that admin stuff and all of that. And that is a lot to take on. So my clients come to me and they have this idea of I'm not happy in my career. I don't know what that means for my next step. Do I have to just ditch it all and do my own thing? I am very much not like leap in the net will appear girl. That is not me. I think that's the, unless you, yes, unless you have a big fatty trust fund. And that's a thing you can do. There's, you know, there's so much to be said for the security of a nine to five for the healthcare for if you've got kids and you're the main breadwinner, like there's so many, you know, I'm not pooing it for those of us that have chosen to do it, but there's so many moving parts that go with it that you nine to five is what a lot of people want. And it's a really great option for a lot of people. And I mean, nine to five is also a fallacy these days, which I think is actually a good thing. We're, but what we're meaning is like a typical corporate work day. Yeah. Where you have a salary or a, yeah. an hourly wage and you're, you're getting right. yeah. benefits. And and the best you go to an office. You go to an office <laughs> or, or you don't. Uh, or kitchen. Yeah. Um, but you have someone else's structure in place. Yeah. And that's basically the difference is that, um, you know, you have someone giving you a regular paycheck, which is some instant gratification of you're doing a good job. You know what to be doing and when to be doing. Ideally, <laughs> if you have a good manager, I, you know, and all of these things are in place and that's great. So when people do come to me and they say, I'm unhappy in my nine to five, do I need to ditch it all and become an Etsy maker? No, you don't. If that's what you want, we'll explore that. But I really caution people to take a look at how they're working and what they're working on and where where are these holes in their gaps and what's making them unhappy in their nine to five. And it turns out, I'd say eight out of 10 times, it is not the structure. They actually enjoy the structure. They actually enjoy knowing like, okay, I've got three weeks of vacation. I can just click that off and go and do my vacation. And, oh, I'm going to have healthcare. And, oh, I get the company holiday party. Like that stuff they really enjoy. But what they're missing is either they're not being challenged, they're not being fulfilled in some fashion, or they've kind of taken on more things than they expected, or they're doing less than they expected. So there's all these different things. But None of that is unfixable. Right. So what I work with people who are kind of questioning if they even stay at the nine to five is we work on, do you act, you know, do you like being in here? Is this a thing that you enjoy? Is this just this general concept of having someone else 
provide you structure what you want? And if the answer there is yes, it's like, okay, then what do we do to make sure that you don't wake up with a pit of the stomach feeling? What do we do to make sure that you go to work? I'm not expecting you to be like skipping and singing and farting rainbows on the way to your job every day, but like, what can we do to make you not dread it every day? Like what can we make you to be like, I enjoy what I do and I do good work. And a lot of times it just means either shifting their actual role responsibilities in a day-to-day capacity, expanding their role responsibilities, or shifting them in some fashion. And sometimes that does mean moving to a different type of field, a different industry. But a lot of times it's honestly having like a a few conversations with a few people in their current organization. Um, So I've actually just finished work with a couple clients where you know, one just got a great job. It was everything that ticked all of her boxes of like, okay, what would my dream job be? And this in theory ticked every single box. And she was really excited until she got into the day to day of it and realized what had been sold to her as this job was absolutely not the job. Mm, And so then she was really struggling with, well, does that mean I don't like what I do anymore? Mm. And it turned out that no, she loves what she does, but she wasn't getting to do those things. Right. She still had the title, but her actual role responsibilities weren't the things she enjoyed. So instead of having her go find another job, because she enjoyed everything else. She loved the structure. She loved the company. She really believed in their mission statement, that they're doing great work. We just basically built a proposal for her to kind of shift her position. Not to, I mean, they, it's a smaller organization. They weren't able to like backfill her and rehire someone else to replace her. But she could be like, okay, this is what I thought I was going to be able to do when I got hired. I'm not being able to do those things. How do we work those into my daily role responsibilities? And how do we delegate some of the things that I shouldn't be or don't need to be doing? Mm, yeah. And it's just a few conversations. And for a lot of my clients, and I just don't think just for my clients, I think for a lot of people we're told, right, go get that dream job. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And then you're sort of left to your own devices where people aren't really taught how to set themselves up for success and how to set themselves up for joy, how to set themselves up for fulfillment once they get somewhere. And nine times out of 10, it is just open communication and making sure you're talking to people within the organization about what you want to do, how you want to do it, and make sure that you actually get to do those role responsibilities. I think that's such a great reminder. And the thing that's popping up in my head is a lot of times that conversation is really around clarity and role Mm -hmm. and responsibility because I know... I mean, for myself, I have been drastically unhappy when I remember one place where I was the new person and everyone's like, here, you can take this. And it turned out to be every crappy part of everyone else's job that they didn't want. And they thought like, you know, they had a fresh face they could give it to. And I remember having a conversation with the person that was managing me and just saying, is are these really parts of what you want this role doing? Sure, that took a little bit of courage to walk in and ask. Mm-hmm. I happen to have known the person from a past mm-hmm. spot, but I think that's a great reminder that if it doesn't align with what you thought you were getting mm-hmm. hired to do, that it's totally okay to have the conversation of, is this really what you want me doing? This isn't what we talked about, so how can we make it align better? Exactly. Um, Yeah. And the other one about uh, the other thing that pops up for me when you were saying that was the whole Brene Brown line of like, clear is kind. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. like unclear is unkind. So, like, how do you make it kind for the entire team? Because I think a lot of people, I see them getting stuck feeling like, well, if I bring this up, who am I going to piss off? Or if Mm -hmm. I bring this up that, like, I don't really know what the roles all are and I don't think that all of us know, then somebody's Mm going to get angry at me and maybe I look like I don't know what I'm doing. 
But the truth is, if you don't know and you're not sure on your role, there's somebody else that's having that same thought. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're going to get angry at you because you're not doing a thing they assume you're supposed to be doing. And you're, so they're going to be angry at you either way. Why don't you all just get on the same page? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Are there other things that you think are, or that you see going on in, in kind of more of a corporate structure mm-hmm. that are ways people could help align themselves so that it feels more joyful and kind of, I'll say on point, but like on purpose for them that sure. like, this is a place where I can engage and feel like I'm being useful. Cause I think those are the things that start to get missed when you're starting mm-hmm. to feel like, I don't like this place and I don't know why <laughs> you don't feel engaged. You don't mm-hmm. feel recognized and you, uh-huh. you don't feel like you're making any sort of impact in the larger world. No, what I suggest, you know, to people that I work with is number one, figure out what your top values and priorities in your life are. Like what are your non-negotiables? Yep. The things that no matter what, you're not willing to budge on. And whatever that might be, it, for some of you, it might be money. And that's fine. Like no excuses, own it. For some people, it's doing a certain type of social action. For some people, it is expanding their education. Whatever those things are for you, know what those are. And then also the companies, let's say you're, let's say you're just finding a job, what you're interviewing with or the company you currently are with, what is their mission statement? What are their core values? Every corporation has one. Whether they live up to it or not, it's you know partly the employee's job to hold the C-levels accountable for this thing that they say they are presenting to the world. Um, yeah. But every company has a mission statement and it lists out their core values and what they want to put out in the world. And so I suggest for everybody that they check to see how aligned those things are. If the company you're with goals and values are contradicting your own, there's nothing you're ever going to be able to do to make yourself <laughs> feel fulfilled in that job yeah. other than the paycheck for a while. And if that's all you're going for right now, then okay, go enjoy. But if that isn't aligned, then you've got a big problem and you do need to look elsewhere for somewhere that is going to align with your values. If in theory, and they're saying that their values align with yours, but you're feeling off, whether it's the actual work that you're doing or some of the actions the company is doing, this is where you do have to have those conversations with your, the people above you. And this is the thing is they actually want to have those conversations, but too many people sit it with their heads in their work, kind of expecting to someone to, you know, people to come eat, check in on them and make sure they're doing the things they're supposed to be doing and that everyone's all on the same page. But unfortunately that doesn't happen because everyone is doing their own thing and they don't have time to do that. And it's weirdly not part of everybody's job. So it, it does come down to you to be your own best advocate. And if you're feeling off. If you're feeling like some things are, you have to go have those conversations and say, this is the type of work that I'm doing versus this is what we say we would like to do. How do we move away from the bad to the stuff we say we're going to do? And in theory, managements in the higher up should be want, you know, should want to be doing the exact same things that you do. And so having those conversations shows them that you're being proactive. It shows them that you care about the company as much as you care about your own paycheck. It shows them that you're willing to put in extra work to, you know, kind of course correct. And the course correction, yeah, there's probably going to be an uncomfortable conversation here or there because a lot of companies as they go on, there's process for process sake. They just start doing things because somebody five years ago started doing it that way. And now it's still being done that way. And nobody's checked in on why that's still happening. And these types of conversations are what can, you know, correct those for you and actually get you on track and make sure you're doing things that you want to be doing. And if you're not doing any of those things, going to management with, you know, Hey, this isn't happening. I would like it to happen this way. And here's my plan for doing that. If you can go to them with it laid out, 
I can pretty much guarantee they're going to allow you to do it. You just need to understand why you want to do it. And coming down to your values and the company's values makes that argument so much stronger and makes it so you understand where things are feeling off and why you're unhappy. Yeah, that leaves room for a lot of that self introspection of mm-hmm. what's not a match here for me. Mm-hmm. What is the real thing going on? Not just I'm unhappy and I'm frustrated and I find like I'm talking about how unhappy I am, but like right. really what is, I think there's, there's that little piece of when you can identify what it is and then put a place in mm-hmm. or a plan or propose a plan for a way out of it. Not only will your boss be like, Oh my gosh, thank you. Usually that's right. the response I've had. Yeah, exactly. Or at least then you've thought through it for yourself and provided yourself the space to unpack the problem and then think about how it could be better. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really great stuff. And the other in, one I, yeah, go ahead. I was say in corporate settings, we get stuck in the minutia, right? Like, Oh, so, like, so Oh true. God, I've got to go to another meeting with Susan about the budget. And like, all I want to do is like stick a pencil in Susan's eye. Like you get stuck poor in Susan. these, <laughs> poor Susan, you get stuck in these petty office annoyances and politics. and it can be really distracting from the work, mm-hmm. but I really urge people to say, okay, if Susan's driving you that insane, is it Susan or is it this process that Susan has been caught up and involved in and your company is all they're doing is cutting corners and cutting costs. And that's why that budget meeting drives you so crazy because it's going against the things you had hoped to be working on and doing, or is it, a, is it actually Susan? Go talk to Susan. <laughs> like have a you right. know totally and have that uncomfortable conversation and say how can we work together better. But too often people focus on those little petty, you know. Oh, John took credit for my PowerPoint. Oh, let John have credit for your PowerPoint. You know, publish <laughs> your PowerPoint. <laughs> right. That's not about the work. It yeah. really isn't. And so too often in those type of environments, people get sucked into those types of things instead of being like, okay, what's the bigger picture? What's the work that we're doing? What's the work I want to do? And how do we make that happen? Yeah. I think there's also that space um, where when you're talking about the minutia and how people get just really sucked in, that sometimes some work environments truly do go toxic. Oh, absolutely. Um, And I don't know, do you have any suggestions? Because I've certainly been there and felt the space where it went from a place where I could tell people were kind of irritated by some of the minutia to a place where, oh, now we're reporting on other people and kind of becoming tattletales by their request. And this is not at all where I want to be. Like that feels like it's the the flip of Mm -hmm. I can do something to change this place and make it better and make it a place that I can stay in to really the, the writing was on the wall for me there that it was like, no, eventually and probably pretty soon this is not where I need to be. I don't know. Do you have any questions around how do you identify if it actually is toxic Mm -hmm. and do you always have to leave? I don't, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think anyone who's ever worked in a corporate setting has got to a point where if not the whole company, at least your department or some chunk of it has gone toxic and like true, truly, truly toxic. The thought of going to engage in it makes you your worst version of yourself and you engage in it. And you become part of the problem, right? Yes. We, like, we have to take responsibility for our part of that first. Um, I don't think you always have to leave. If the place is truly toxic in a morally reprehensible way. Yes. Generally, yes. You should probably. Time to go. <laughs> time to go. And you should probably skedaddle. If it is just a matter of things have just gotten, just between people have gotten so 
blown out of proportion and so not about the work and it's just infected the whole company. I actually was at an agency once where it was, it was obvious and no one was happy, but everyone was too afraid to be the first one to be like, guys, this is childish. We're like seven year olds in a sandbox. Like, can we just have, can we just work this out? Finally, someone did. He was not popular about it, but he basically was like, we all have to get into a big conference room, both offices, because we had like East Coast, West Coast, get everybody in a, in a room and just kind of hash out what's going on. Like we're not trying to fix it, but like, let's just get some stuff out right now. Um, no, he was not, po- it was a very controversial opinion, but to be fair, it worked. Right. He, yeah. He never everybody's buddy ever again, <laughs> but he got a huge promotion yeah. and the company went from being really toxic and awful to a place that like then they scaled and they grew really well because people were happy to be there and did such better work. Did all of the little problems get fixed? Absolutely not. They just can't. When you have any group of people, you just can't. But saying, can we work this out? Can we have a calibration meeting? Now that's not going to happen if you are in like a giant conglomerate. That's going to be really difficult. Yeah. But if you are in an environment that's even remotely able to, even with just your small bit of team, be like, how do we calibrate? How do we make this better? And sometimes having the unpopular opinion is just better for the company. And unfortunately, corporations are not there to fulfill your every wish and need. They are there to make money. And your job as part of that is to help them be the best them. Yeah. And you have to kind of accept that and be like, okay, that might mean I lose my lunch buddy. But if that means everyone's happier then like, let's do that. Let's make this company a better place to be. So no, you don't always have to leave at, at all. And sometimes it does mean maybe not leaving the company, but maybe switching departments, maybe switching managers. There are other options that don't always mean you have to take a huge leap and completely leave, but it does involve uncomfortable conversations that you do have to have. Yes. And I think that's a really good reminder of Sometimes it takes a little bit of discomfort to get through the thing. I mean, you're already uncomfortable, right. probably. Like, Absolutely. if it's toxic and that word's popping up in your head, yeah. you're not in the space that feels good to you. So, yeah. I mean, the way I've thought about that, generally in the project management role, is that it's my job personally. I mean, my own personal mission is to spread more joy in the world. I don't always come in and tell everyone that, but like I can start the uncomfortable Mm -hmm. conversation that then brings everybody closer. Yeah. Sometimes you got to take it for the team and that's absolutely doesn't always make you the most popular. I think there's also something really interesting there about um, how do you find the courage to be that guy that says, Hey, why don't we just unpack? How can we have the conversation where we're using I statements? Mm-hmm. We're not pointing fingers. We're not making this about someone, but like kind of the construct of what did we do? How did it go? And what could we do better next time? Like to kind yeah. of start that path is sometimes a, an actionable thing. If somebody's like, yeah, but how do I do that? Well, yeah. <laughs> unpack yeah. the situation you had, have somebody else mediate. Yeah. I mean, I you can we, do it. Absolutely. We spend 30% of our lives at work. Yeah. 30%. Think about it. I mean, that is, if someone was like, oh, hey, you're going to get on this plane, but it's about 30% chance of crashing. Like you're not getting on that plane. Like 30% (laughs) is a huge percent. I love that. (laughs) Like It's a huge percent in it. That's 30% of your life. And you need to protect that 30%. And if that means having small, uncomfortable conversations frequently to to keep from 
a big, huge, gnarly, gut-wrenching conversation happening down the road, I highly recommend having periodic, small conversations. And some people's managers are a little less approachable than others. And you really do have to kind of gird yourself and be like, all right, I'm doing this. But if you go in there with a clear question, a clear agenda, a clear outcome that you're looking for other than just, hey, Bob, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, Okay. Like, Bob, you know, if you go in there with information and an understanding of what you would like the outcome to be, those conversations are going to be infinitely less, you know, problematic. Yes. It is very much like asking someone out on a first date where you want the outcome. The outcome is you could meet someone amazing and have an amazing relationship. If you go to your manager and you buck up enough energy to have this conversation and get over that fear of just having this conversation, the outcome is you have a happy, enjoyable, meaningful workplace. It's very similar. And that fear is real. And I'm not discounting that fear, but letting that fear keep you from all of the good stuff, that's not worth it for 30% of your life. No. No, I totally agree. And I've found in some places it's easier when a a manager boss will agree to doing like a one-on-one on on a regular basis, because then it's not, you're coming to them on the Mm -hmm. one-off. You're coming to them every week and you can kind of check in on what's good, what's not working. And if you have that thing where you're like, Hey, but this thing Mm -hmm. this way, because I think it would work better. It's like this natural. Yeah part of the conversation instead of it being like, Oh, I got to make a meeting with Bob and (laughs) I only ever see him once a year, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I advocate for people to set those up because not every manager does that. Not every manager says, Oh, I need to meet with you. And maybe it can't be weekly just by the nature of your company, but maybe it is once a month. Maybe it is every two weeks. Don't let it be the annual review. No, like you can't. But that is part of what I was saying earlier about setting yourself up for success at a job. A a big chunk of that is going into your new higher ups and saying, okay, I would like to make sure that we're calibrated. I would like to stay on schedule. You know, can we get a one-on-one on on the books for a fairly regular interval? The problem that people do run into those with those, once they do become really regular, hopefully they're becoming regular. If they do become regular, a lot of people kind of treat them as just like, hey, how you doing check-ins? And they kind of start taking the opportunity for granted and nothing really important gets discussed. Even if you, even if things are great and you guys are all like doing good work and you're happy and for the most part and you're enjoying things, there's always something to be looking ahead at. Like what's a speed bump that could arise and heading that off at the past before it comes before you then have to go and have a complaint session because something didn't get done in the right way. So one thing with those is again, protecting your 30% by protecting that meeting time with your manager and using it, actually using it. Right. Um, I actually had lunch with someone yesterday, old agency people, and she was having her one-on-one with her manager who made her go chair shopping with him and like <laughs> made her go to crate and barrel with him. And we live in a city. So it's like they yeah. walk down the corner yeah. from their office, but you know, yes. I mean, that's great that they're on a friendly level, but that is not what the one-on-one should have been about. It should not have right. been about him making out fabric for a chair for his home. No, (laughs) it should have been that time should have been used to address any situations she had with her upcoming position. Yeah. So funny. It is. I mean, she is actually, she's really funny. She came to me as a friend with her career issues as it's, it's like my friends who are nurses. Like we all be like, what's this thing on my elbow? You know, it's not, you know, (laughs) everyone comes to me with career things. She was, she's in a corporate position. She was very, she's feeling kind of just, 
anxious and knowing she wasn't doing the work she wanted to be doing. And she had an idea what that was and started looking elsewhere to do it. And we had the conversation. I was just like, okay, well, you love your team. You love where you work. You love the work you guys are doing is the only reason you want to leave because you want to do this other role. And she said, yes. I said, write a proposal, propose it to them. She, we worked on that little awesome PowerPoint. They allowed her to start basically her own new department. So oh my goodness, that is yeah. so cool. It's amazing. And she's happier in her position, in her role. She's so effective. She actually gets to do the things she's always wanted to do. She's really happy, which is why, again, these types of things are now being allowed to happen is her one-on-one instead of discussing, you know, some issues that might come up over the summer while, especially in San Francisco, all the creatives leave to go to Burning Man and your creative department is gutted. Right. <laughs> Instead of addressing that, you know, they were picking out chair fabric. So yes, it's great. She has a friendly relationship with her senior manager, but you need to be aware that again, long-term your job is about that company's end goal and picking out chair fabric is not going to further that. Yeah. Well, and making sure that once you've got that established, I mean, I know that most of the time, my manager would not set up that agenda other than you're bringing to me the things like what's going well. And and I think taking advantage and making sure that you're celebrating like, hey, this thing went well. Don't be um, don't be shy about celebrating no. a success or something that brought you joy since that's the focus of, you know, kind of the <laughs> yeah. overall show. But like, yeah. like calling out the things that went well and then mm-hmm. also making the request of saying, and I could use your help here or bring a problem that you want to kind of workshop with them around like, how do we solve this or just bring a solution? Like I think each of those things, but you've got to put it in and it probably only takes the five minutes of Mm -hmm. creating your agenda and being like, okay, here's my wins. Here's the things I'm not sure about. And here's what I want to ask you about. Because I think you've got to protect the time because otherwise it does have the possibility of turning into chair shopping, <laughs> whatever that weird. Or falling off is. the calendar. Right. Because it, well, we don't ever have anything important yeah. to talk about. And exactly. so then they're like, you just come to me when you need me. And exactly. that's like, that's, that's, that's a recipe. <laughs> so yeah. And that's the recipe when the role has the potential to go. Now I don't have a defined time to mm-hmm. talk to you. And as things pop up, it becomes awkward to ask. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And I do love the idea of sharing your wins with your higher ups. I think it's so important. And some people are, uh, under the assumption that their higher ups know all of these wins and that no, <laughs> they don't, they're paying attention to their own stuff. And unfortunately yeah. your stuff is generally not their stuff. Exactly. They don't know. So yes. Do you want to like, you know, run around and be like, eh, you know, I changed the ink and the copier unless you're the office manager. No, yeah, <laughs> no, you want to go to them with big, important wins and you want to go to them with wins of stuff that you want to continue doing. Right. The more they know that you're good at it, the more of those you're going to get. I'm a huge, huge advocate of keeping the wins list. I'm also an advocate of looking back at your week and saying, okay, what's the one thing that just went, you know, pear-shaped? Like what, if an expert in this thing showed up today, what's the one thing they would have done to make this differently, to make it work well? Ooh, that's a good question. Oh, I love that. Um, And really just, okay, so if this expert came in and had, had the two seconds with you and said they'd give you their one expert opinion, what would that look like? Take that to your manager and say, this is what I'm thinking we should have done or we could do. What is your hot take on that? So you're going to them with potential solutions. You're not just saying like, hey, this didn't work. <laughs> yeah, your and I don't know what to do. You but. want to think about it. And if you think about it, not in terms of like, what could I have done differently? But think of it as like the world expert in this thing 
came by your desk and said, you should have done that. What would that person do? And don't worry so much about the nuts and bolts of getting to that point. But what's the outcome that that person would have expected? Or what's the, what would that person have done? And I think that's an amazing, amazing exercise to. Yeah, I think. And that does it, that kind of like laser focuses it into like, okay, here's something that I could propose or ask or put into perspective for my manager. Mm, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. No, I actually got that from there. I'm sad that I'm blanking on her name right now, but she was this woman who worked at Hooters in Florida as you do. And it was one of those things where all of a sudden her day just went crazy. People didn't show up. Cooks weren't there. Hostesses didn't show up. So she literally was like one of two people working. She was making the wings and serving them. Oh my word. And her manager found out about it. So gave her a promotion to like head of the team. And then she started doing that for herself. And she is now head of a major multinational corporation. And she said, one thing that she does is she says every day at the end of her day is like, okay, what if she calls it the hot shot review? If a hot shot in this field came in today and said, you did that thing wrong, you should have done it this way. She says, what would that be? And then she said, just the next day, she does that thing. That's and amazing. She's gone from Hooters girl who had to make the own, her own wings and with a very short period of time to CEO of a major multinational corporation. Amazing. Thank right? you. <laughs> Thank you. For- Is there anything else that you want to make sure we talk about before we get into where to find you and last questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had something that a client said to me uh, this week that I, I'm just, I can't get it out of my head because I know it's something that so many of my clients feel, but they don't know how to vocalize it. And she just hit the nail on the head. And this goes, you know, not just for entrepreneurs, but also definitely people in corporate is she's doing something very specific, but she is trying to figure out a way to kind of, you know, make it more meaningful, making it more creative, but she's feeling guilty about it. She said, well, that's easy to me. And if it doesn't feel like work, is it really work? She doesn't. Right. And so this idea of if it's hard, it's not work and therefore you shouldn't be compensated for it. I think that is just pervasive and people really need to understand whether, you know, whatever your role is, if it's easy to you, that's the thing that people need to pay you the most for, because the things that are easiest to you are the hardest for someone else. Yeah. And to not feel guilty about certain things being easy. Work does not have to be hard. Right. Exactly. And I think there's that really difficult thing that we get told that like, you know, that's why there's a paycheck is because it's hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's like kind of backwards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something my dad used to say. Definitely. They oh, wouldn't yeah, call exactly. it work if it was fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the paycheck is there and it's, you know, yes, it's instant gratification that you're doing a good job and yes, you are getting paid to do the thing, but you're going to get paid to do the thing, whether it's difficult for you to do the thing or easy for you to do the thing, as long as you do the thing. Right. Exactly. And you could also design your career yes. to be a much easier route if it's not, if it's, I mean, and that kind of gets into the zones of genius, right? Like yeah. the, the big leap, but it's like Gay Hen- mm-hmm. Hendricks, is that his last name? Henderson? I'll put it in the show notes, but, yeah. and that he talks about like there's four or five, four zones of mm-hmm. genius. And when you're hitting like the zone of competence, it's like you can right. do it, but it's really not leveraging your best, yeah. like your best efforts or like your best, um, what, what comes naturally to you. And so sure. I think that's the thing. Like if you're getting paid for your zone of competence, that's a way different thing than the zone of genius, which is, this is easy for you. It feels like you're in the zone all the time. It's like lots yeah. of fun. Yeah. But you also, I don't want people to be afraid either of choosing things that are difficult for them. Oh, sure. Yeah, I agree. Just, you know, like just because it's easy doesn't mean you have to do it. 
like, I mean, I, at one point in my life, I was a housekeeper. I'm real great at cleaning toilets. It's easy for me. Do I want to do that now? No. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm fine with the two that are here in my home. I don't need any other toilets to clean. Yeah. Oh, no. I outsource that to another woman with a small business who owns her own company and she comes and does it. But I, yeah, I, this idea that you have to do something that, you know, your is your passion and that is super easy for you. I, you know, I don't want people to be afraid of being like, okay, well, this thing's difficult for me, but I really like it. It really fascinates me. Mm-hmm. It brings me joy. Yeah. I don't want people to be scared away from doing that thing. It doesn't have to be easy, but if it can be easy and you can make money for it, do not apologize. Yes, I agree. Well, yeah. And I think you brought up a nice nuance there too. I don't know that the zone of genius is always just smooth sailing because I think there always are like some bumps in the road where you're like, well, I have to learn how to do this thing. I mean, podcasting is a great example. Some of that path was not easy. And some of that path felt very like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. So (laughs) like maybe I should just stop. But kind of pushing through that moment of discomfort Mm -hmm. to the piece where it starts to feel a little bit easier. I think it's often, I mean, what is that? Like, I think we all have moments where we feel like maybe it'd be easier if I just quit, but going through that to discover what's on the other side of it is where you discover, is this really the route that I should take? Like, don't give up in the middle, get past the hard stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's definitely, you know, the Ira Glass thing, like you have to suck at something before you can Mm -hmm. get at it, you know? Ira. (laughs) Oh, Ira. But he's not wrong, right? He's true. And even if something is intrinsically easy for you, it is just a natural ability you have, there's still things about it that you're going to need to learn how to do in a corporate setting. There's Mm -hmm. ways and means and, you know, outcomes that you're going to have to control. And so there is always going to be a learning process no matter what. And, you know, the frustration level there, you know, it's real. (laughs) but Totally real. Yeah. I don't want to say like anything worth having. You got to work, you know, it's got to be hard. I don't want to say that, but there is nothing can always be easy all the time. Right. It just, that's not life. But if it can be easy, don't discount it because it's easy. That's what I'm getting at. (laughs) (laughs) That works. (laughs) I love it. Um, So if somebody wants to work with you or find out more, where can they find you and, what have yeah. you got going on? Yeah, they can find me really easy at ebsanders.com. Um, and kind of everything and anything is on there. And I've got a little freebie if people want to check out. It's basically everything we've been talking about today. It's kind of like the five big life questions to ask yourself to, you know, find work that's meaningful meaningful for you, whether that's staying where you are or finding something new. And it is very much about those core values that I was talking about. Um, so they can grab that and everything. I've got my blog on there. I've got, you know, a bunch of free resources. They can click on a button that says free stuff. I'm all about giving stuff away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I run a group program kind of once a quarter. So if they want to get the wait list for that. That's coming up. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like the winter time's coming up. Um, that's an amazing program where I work with a small group of women every quarter. And it's one of my favorite things because for me, right, it's my zone of genius. It's very much like teaching for me, very much like a classroom where, you know, my background is. So, you know, I'm doing all the things. So yeah, they can just go to evsanders.com. They can find me on Instagram at ev underscore Sanders and happily, happily, happily offer anyone that comes to me through your lovely podcast, a discount, and they can just use a discount code called friends fam. Awesome. I will put those and thank you. I'll put those notes for everybody to grab and, um, yeah, very exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Um, well, so 
well, let's just, we'll get to the, the last question, which is what are three ways that you can think of to jumpstart joy in your life, in the world, or in other people's lives? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these are going to be personal to me, but number one, pet, pet a puppy. Like, oh, yes. Like there's just so much can be solved by petting a puppy. Number two is listening more than you talk, which is difficult for a lot of people. But I think so many arguments, I mean, with your family, friends, coworkers can be solved by listening more than you speak. And it's just, you know, joyful to have a, a happy listener around you. Um, number three, um, you know, eat the ice cream. Just just eat, do the thing that makes you happy. I refer to it as the eat the ice cream. But if you, if it means walking around in the grass without shoes on during your lunch hour, go do that. Do the, do the silly childlike thing that just makes you happy. Don't, you know, you don't need a reason for it. Just go be happy. I love it. (laughs) This has been so, just like so great. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I just thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. Evie, thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm really glad that you have been on and it's been such a treat to get to meet you and talk about all of these exciting options for different ways of designing a job and a career that fits someone really well. I love how much we had in common and it's just been a real treat to get to meet you. If you guys want to find out more about E.B. Sanders, you can find the show notes for this episode at jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash E.B. Sanders. And uh, there's the link to the Julia Cameron book and uh, her friends and family discount that EB talked about in the interview itself. So head on over there. If you've really enjoyed this episode, I invite you to do a couple of things with it. Maybe you could share it with a friend who's looking for a job or a career path that fits them better than wherever they are right now because I know so many of us have struggled with that very problem that EB and I talk about. So share it, jumpstartyourjoy.com forward slash EB Sanders. You can just send that off to a friend who's maybe struggling in their work. The other thing you could do is subscribe. Now, we use the word subscribe around podcasts, but subscriptions are free. You don't pay for them. You just go to iTunes or Google Podcasts and you could subscribe to Jumpstart Your Joy and then every Tuesday morning, Morning, as each episode comes out, you will be automatically getting the latest and greatest. And so that's easy to do as well. Those are the two things that I ask of you this week. Next week on the show, I am doing a solo cast and we still just have a couple more episodes left this year in the regular season. And those are going to be with Christy Tending, who of course I adore and has been on, I think this will be her sixth time. Oh my goodness. And she is always a delight. And to round it out, the last episode of this season will be with my dear friend, uh, Sister Michelle, who uh, we share a birthday, we share a personality type, and this discussion is just a, a lovely way to close out season four. So I hope that you'll come on back next week for that shortish solo cast. And until then, I hope that your days are filled with so much joy.